welcome to Life City Church. We're so glad that you tuned in this morning, and I pray that you will be blessed by the service today. Please be sure to me, that you are chattering with us, just chatting and replying, because our church family is alive and well, and this is how we connect. So I want to strongly encourage you, please do so. This morning, I wanted to talk about an incident that happened this week. This happened on Tuesday, and one of the members of our church posted a video but had not put any description behind it. And when I saw the video, it seemed like a set from a movie. It just couldn't, I couldn't believe that it was real. And what it was was a movie of what looked like a building and then an explosion. I think it was like a brownish-red smoke that exploded. And next thing, you think that it's all over. All of a sudden, what happened next was this mushroom cloud, white smoke, blew out, and it was massive. And then this camera that we were watching that was taking this footage blew over. You could hear the screams going on. And so I quickly went to find out what this was and where this took place. And it was indeed something that took place on Tuesday. It had just taken place. And since then, protesters have taken to the street. And a report, this is from the Associated Press, 6.40 p.m. August 7. This is new stuff. Protesters in Beirut were doused in tear gas after marching outside of parliament to express their anger over this deadly chemical blast that killed 135 people to date and injured many more. And the ramifications of this to a country that was on the verge of economic collapse is disastrous. And so the residents have taken to the capital to vent their fury at Lebanon's Justice Minister Mary Claude Najem, I don't know if I pronounce it well, heckling her to resign and throwing water bottles at her as she was attempting to uh, look after a visiting French president, Emmanuel Macron. This happened just recently. Now, according to the local media, the people on the streets, they're blaming the parliamentary leaders for this deadly explosion that ravaged the capital. And it is so disastrous. The cabinet was previously warned by a security agency of this stockpile of explosives, but they were ignoring it. And Lebanon's customs chief told the Associated Press that a report of this magnitude could raise questions of a high level of neglect. And listen to this. The stockpile was of 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate. Now, just I'm trying to put a figure to that. Just imagine for a moment. You know how heavy one ton is. This is 2,750 tons of nitrate was apparently left there, sparked by fire, and this thing was so crazy that it it blew and destroyed so many homes. So, according to some figures, they say 300,000 people are without homes. It blasted buildings and it went for kilometers. In fact, the explosion was heard in the eastern Mediterranean. It was all over the place. In Cyprus, they heard the sound. And to this date, the damage is so great. There are people still struggling to deal with the wounded. The dozens of people are still missing. And officials estimate the loss at approximately 10 billion to 15 billion, now listen to this, U.S. dollars. This is huge. And it brings to mind this idea, and I was reading this passage, and I want you to turn there with me. It's, uh, turn with me to the book of Luke, 
and it's found in chapter 12. Luke and chapter 12, we're only going to read verses 1 to 5. So turn with me right now, and I'm reading from the NIV version. So follow with me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 5. The Bible says this, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands, now understand that in an ancient world where there's no PA systems, there's no uh, theaters large enough or auditoriums large enough to hold this kind of capacity, this is quite astounding that that many people would follow Jesus. A crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Father, we ask for understanding and meaning, Lord God, to be released by your Spirit today. I ask that you speak to every person that is listening to this message, either, Lord, by podcast or they're listening in their homes over live stream right now. I pray, Father, you would use this message to bless your people, make their lives richer because of this. And I pray, Father God, you'd activate the church. If you agree with me, say amen on the chat today. And let's listen into the message. Now the word goes on. Jesus says, I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Man. So it's a timely word because we're talking about an event where people have been hiding things and it's been hidden and it's been neglected. It has not been paid attention to. And what's happened is seven years later, it comes to light. And it reminds me of the story. So let's begin, begin to unpack this with this two key things that I want to share with you this morning. Here's the first one. That God looks in the closet. If you're looking for a title for this message, I want you to write this down. Reclaim the closet. Reclaim the closet. The Bible says a crowd of thousands had gathered, trampling on one another. And then Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So the context behind this is that Jesus is watching the group dynamics in the context of a mega church kind of setting. We're talking thousands upon thousands of people. The Bible gives us some idea of how many thousands. In one encounter, Jesus fed 4,000 people. It says 4,000 men plus their wives and their children. Easily 10,000 people following Jesus in one encounter. In another encounter, the Bible tells us he fed 5,000 men. It doesn't even count the women, plus their wives and their children. So that in that particular one, could have been 12,000, 14,000 people. We don't know exactly. All we know is that thousands upon thousands of people are drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to something that is peculiar about him. And here's the thing that I want you to grab hold of. The crowd has a way of bringing out the worst 
and the best in people. In the crowd, the Lord can be worshipped. His name can be honored. You ever, have you ever been part of an atmosphere where thousands upon thousands of voices are worshipping the Lord as one? And when you're there, you're worshipping him. And you're, you, know, you may be used to 100 people, 1,000 people. But when thousands upon thousands of people are worshipping the one true God, let me tell you, there's this goosebumps that goes all over you. There's a power there. The Bible says that God abides, he lives in the presence of his people. And when you get thousands upon thousands of people worshiping him, it is a powerful and beautiful moment as the presence of God comes in profound and tangible ways. I love the gathering of people. And just like many others, it kills me that we can't have church together. But we do the best that we can together in this place. And if you agree with me, do a shout out right now. Give praise to the Lord that we have technology that allows us, even though we have these restrictions, to worship the name of the living God. The Bible tells us that the crowd was so great. And crowds can be good. Or crowds can be used for evil. It can be used to bring the powerful, the profound and tangible presence of God. Or that same crowd that marches for peace and for justice can be the same crowd that is turned into a mindless mob. The Bible tells us that Jesus on Palm Sunday, he was, he was led on a uh, on a a donkey that had never been ridden before through the streets of Jerusalem and people were breaking off and cutting off palm branches on, yes, Palm Sunday and worshiping him because in that moment the crowd recognized the presence of God. I want to challenge you. Do you recognize the presence of God when it's slapping you in the face, when it's right in front of you? The Bible tells us there were people, uh, heroes in the Bible that we look up to. The Bible says that Jacob slept in a place where he saw visions, open heaven visions. He felt it was so real of angels ascending and descending in that spot. And when he woke up, he said, surely this must be the, the house of God. And I wasn't even aware of it. The Bible tells us that Samson had an anointing, a peculiar anointing of the Holy Spirit upon his life, where he was the real deal Superman. This guy had super strength. But the Bible tells us that when he allowed and when he gave his secret away, when that was taken from him, his hair was cut. That when he went to fight as usual, he had not recognized that the Spirit of God has left him. Someone needs to hear that message right now. Why don't you poke the person next to you and say, you might need a stick to be COVID safe. Just poke them with a stick next to you. All you older, oldie folks, just get your walking stick. Just poke that person next to you. And say, it's time to wake up. It's time to be aware of the presence of God when it's here and it's here right now. It's time to turn on the lights and understand the presence of God is in this place. The presence of God can be communicated over a microphone, over the internet, over distances. Because he's not limited by geographical locations. 
And here's the thing. The Bible says the same crowd that is worshiping him saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the living God. Basically, the people recognized, the people in that day, thousands upon thousands, the residents of Jerusalem all came out. They were fed by him on numerous occasions. They enjoyed the miracles. They enjoyed the signs and the wonders, people being raised from the dead. They saw eyes uh, able to see the deaf people hearing demons cast out and they were celebrating realized this is the messiah that was been prophesied they recognized who he was in that moment and everyone is rejoicing others saying be quiet be quiet and jesus said if you don't shout out then the very stones will cry out for the living god I don't want to be outcried by a stone. So I want to say, hey, it's time to put on a party right now. Come on, give out a hallelujah and a shout out in the chat right now. Give glory to the Lord. He deserves our very best. But the Bible also tells us, I mean, days after. I mean, this is not like years and years later. Days after, the same crowd that is worshiping him, recognizing this is the Messiah. The Bible tells us that a crowd had gathered and that there were influential people there saying, no, no, no. When it came time for Pilate, he says, hey, who would you like me to release? Because, you know, you celebrate this thing. I don't know why I've got this man. I can't find fault with him. But look, hey, we've got the special festival. I can release one prisoner if you want. Now I can either release to you. And I think he did this on purpose. He picked Barabbas, Bar Abbas, son of son of Abbas, who was a known murderer, okay? He was known for this. He was jailed for this, caught red-handed. So he thought, hey, this is going to be a foregone conclusion. They will release the innocent man. But the Bible tells us people were in that crowd, didn't even know what they were doing in that crowd. But the crowd quickly became a cruel mob. And there are the Pharisees and the religious leaders saying, say about Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The same people that shouted out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the living God are now saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. If you're looking for followers on your Facebook or your Instagram and your social media, let me tell you, the crowd is fickle. They will love you one moment, and they will hate you without the, in the blink of an eye the next. We cannot be held captive to the, to, to the appeals of people, to the likes and the thumbs up. It's not about that. It's about living the best life we can to serve the living God. But here's the deal, that in that mob, it's so easy to turn a crowd into a mob. And that same crowd, it was easy to sin. It was e- and it's hard to spot sin within the crowd. But the Bible says Jesus noticed the crowd. Jesus, Jesus noticed that they were trampling on one another. Remember, these same people, they're Jewish people. They're raised to love God, and they're raised to love people. In fact, this much they knew, love your neighbor as yourself. Hated Samaritans, hated all kinds of other people, but to themselves, they were supposed to love each other. But in this instance, in this crowd, when there was discomfort, and when there was a crowding about, there was a jostling for position, the Bible tells us they were trampling upon one another. It's amazing how crowds and gatherings sometimes have a way 
are bringing out the worst in people that sometimes we're at our best when we're alone with him. And the character of the people was on display for the Son of God to see. I, I, you know, I, we, we can't see the Lord this day and age, right? We sense his presence. Sometimes, yes, he appears. I know some of you probably have. And if you do, just go ahead and put it on there. I saw Jesus on this particular day. God bless you. But we know his presence. We can sense his presence. I've seen him heal people. I've seen him heal the blind people, the deaf people. I've seen backs straighten and healed. I've seen legs grow. God is so good. But these people, they saw Jesus in the living flesh. And they were so unaware that he's watching them. I mean, are we like that today? I believe we are. Where we're so oblivious to the presence of God, we don't even know that he's watching us. And we can hide in the crowd, and we try and hide in the private places, but there's nowhere you can run, and there's nowhere you can hide. And Jesus used this life moment to teach his disciples the danger of hypocrisy, the dangers of hidden sin. He said, the Pharisees are hypocrites. And he said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. So some of you are thinking, okay, I I know what a hypocrite is, but let's just dig a little bit deeper. According to Strong's Concordance, a person who's a a hypocrite is a deceitful person. And I I looked a little bit deeper. What does it, the root word, what does it say about what hypocrisy is? And it says this, it means to impersonate. To be someone you're not. Don't look at the person next to you right now. You know where they tout all these things? Oh, it's good to be a Christian, and it's good to raise your hands and to sing out loud. You should be praying more. They're impersonating someone they want to be, but it's not who they really are. It means to simulate. It's just a simulation. It's not real. It's not the real deal. There are a cheap knockoff, a copy of the real thing. It means to feign. It's like a magician who is a trick of hand, a sleight of hands. You know, they're not what you see is not really what you get. You prob- you might know someone that you've seen in church who's like that. They might be in your home right now. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Just look at me right now. So they feign and they pretend. These are the key words that it pops up with hypocrisy. And Jesus makes this statement about hypocrisy. He says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so he's likening the two together. Another word for leaven is what we understand as yeast. And I used this word last week. So hypocrisy, Jesus says, is like yeast. What do you use yeast for? I got to say, I've tried baking. I've tried using yeast, but you know, as much as I can bake and I can cook and do different things, I have not quite yet become proficient at using yeast. Every time I've tried, it's failed. But here's a basic idea. I believe you're supposed to put it in lukewarm water, right? Before you mix it into the flowers, you put the yeast, this is tiny little things, just looks like a little wheat germ. You pop it in the water, mix it around, let it sit for a little bit, and then you mix it up with a flour, and then you cover it up and you let it sit. And very soon, that, that this dough that you've made begins to rise significantly, so that tiny little yeast, I mean, tiny little seeds you can barely see, except when there's a whole mass of it. And when you put it into flour, which is a great deal of flour, all of a sudden it affects the entire dough. 
And Jesus is saying that hypocrisy, that hidden sin, the danger of it is that it not only affects this person who thinks they're living right in my eyes, in the sight of God, but they are just a simulation. They are impersonating the real deal. And what happens very soon and very quickly, people think, especially, hey, those of you leaders in church, those of you people that are people of influence, people are watching you. Now, your kids may know the truth. Perhaps even your wife knows the truth. The people out there, you're probably fooling them. But here's the danger, is that in your hypocrisy, in your hidden sins, people are following your example. Because it doesn't affect just you, it's going to affect someone else. That hidden sin, not just hypocrisy, that sin that is in your life. That's the thing about the hypocrites. They're saying they're living to this higher standard, but their hidden life is something entirely different. So they're saying, oh, you shouldn't do this. They're actually doing it. Don't look at the person next to you. Often, we're not aware of our hidden sins until it's too late. Have you ever had a problem that people warned you about, but you refused to deal with it? Can I give a shout out and amen? No amens right now. It's probably very quiet. I can't check right. Oh, I will check afterwards, but it's probably pretty quiet out there. Any takers right there? You had a problem. People warned you about it. Maybe, and particularly, gentlemen, it's probably your wife warning you, Okay. Listen to what she has to say. Maybe it's a voice of your children saying something to you as well. Maybe it's your best friend and you still refuse to listen. I want you to write this one down. God, not the devil, God will often bring crisis into your life to address the hidden things so that you can deal with it right there and then. The interesting thing about the Lord is that he's so kind that he does it in a safe time in your life. You're thinking, hang on, trouble in a safe time? Yes, because remember, he has set you up for success. The Bible says we are more than overcomers, and he will never give you more than you're capable of dealing with. So at the right time, the Holy Spirit knows God allows trouble to come into your life to test and see what's in your heart, to reveal those sins and those area and character weaknesses that you need to address. And if you don't do it then, he will have to address it at another time again when it's safe because you're rejecting the truth. Oh my goodness. When you reject the truth, God is such a gentleman, he will pull away. And then you go through from one trouble to another trouble, doing a loop around that mountain. The Bible says the people of Israel, because of the complaining and because of the rejection of God, the Bible says they had to go around that mountain, around that wilderness for 40 years of their life. I am not willing to lose another day of my life to sin. I am not willing to lose another day of my life complaining and rejecting God. I want to deal with the problem now. And if you agree with me, Give me a shout out in your reply. Praise the Lord. Have you ever experienced that? In 2017, I found this really interesting. New evidence was discovered to explain a historic disaster of April 1912. While the cause of the disaster has long been attributed to icebergs, fresh evidence has surfaced of a fire in the ship's hull. While researchers, while researchers say it burned 
unnoticed, a fire in the hull burned unnoticed for three weeks leading up to this collision. Officers on board were reportedly under strict instruction from the president of the company that built the Titanic. Remember, this was the maiden voyage of the Titanic, not to mention the fire to any of the 2,500 passengers on board that ship. And that's the case. When the Titanic's hull struck the ice, the steel hull was weak enough for the ship's lining to be torn open, killing more than 1,500 passengers on board. Had they called that maiden voyage off to repair the damage, yes, it may have cost them you know, a few thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which was a lot back then, but for the lives of hundreds of people, 1,500 people, was it worth it? I want to ask you, are you dealing with the hidden sin in your life that is weakening you? It is weakening your resolve. It is weakening your integrity. It is weakening your character. And everyone else is noticing but you because you're so oblivious, thinking no one knows. <laughs> Everything's okay. Jesus warned his disciples. He used these words, be on your guard. So he's saying there are some things that we absolutely have to be aware of. He's saying be aware of the hidden sins. Be aware of that moment when you think you're living up to this standard when you're actually, I'm just going to go a bit lower than this table, when you're actually down here. God is saying it's not good enough because he wants the best for your life. And as long as you're hiding those sins away, thinking no one's watching, it is destroying the impact that your life was designed to make. I looked up that word, be on your guard, and in the original translation, it means to pay attention to. It means to be cautious. It means to be aware. In other words, we have to be constantly aware of those hidden sins that will trap us, that will take you out. It will sideline you from ministry. It will sideline you from your marriage. It will sideline you from your family. It will remove you from the place that God originally designed you for. Come on, let's hear some noise out there. It's the little things that will take you out. In the New York Times, this is dated August the 5th this week. This is what they tell us about what happened leading up to this bomb exploding. The countdown to the catastrophe in Beirut started six years earlier when a troubled Russian-leased cargo ship made an unscheduled stop at the city's port. Now, the ship was trailed by debts. It was crewed by disgruntled sailors, and they were dogged by a small hole in its hull, which means they were constantly having to pump water to get it out of that boat. And so a, a conglomeration of all these different problems, and on top of that, yes, it carried volatile cargo. More than 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate. Now we know, we've been schooled, a combustible material used to make fertilizers and, yes, you guessed it, bombs that was destined for Mozambique. But that ship, the Rosas, never made it. Embroiled in financial and diplomatic dispute, it was abandoned by the Russian businessman who had leased it in the first place, and that ammonium nitrate was transferred to a dockside warehouse in Beirut, 
where it would sit languishing for years, totally unnoticed, until (laughs) six years later, Tuesday, when Lebanese officials said it exploded, sending a shockwave that killed more than 130 people and wounded another 5,000 and counting. Years of neglect had hidden this dangerous hazard. Perhaps you are walking right now, you are walking hazard, and you're not even aware of it. I want to tell you, Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. People would have walked past the ship and been completely oblivious to the hazard that was there. They had no idea the potential bomb that was sitting there day after day, week after week, month after month, not understanding a ticking time bomb was sitting in that warehouse. I want to tell you right now, if there's sin in your life, it is a ticking time bomb sitting in that warehouse, and you're probably not even aware of it unless Holy Spirit speaks to you as he is right now. What will we do once we know that there's something sitting there? I want to ask you, how long has it been since you've addressed that hidden sin in your closet? Again, the title of this message, I want to tell you, is Reclaim the Closet. There's something precious about that closet. Let me tell you why in a moment. You see, we too, we hide our sins. We've been hiding our sins since the dawn of time. And we've made an art of hiding our real lives. Only showing the highlight reel of our lives to people who care to have a look. In fact, we have become social identity engineers. Crafting our own perfect reality. We snap these shots on social media of the great moments in our lives. There's a bomb lurking underneath and we don't show these things because we don't want people to know our hidden weaknesses. We don't want people to know that mean, nasty part of who you are. Don't tap the person next to you. Abraham Lincoln once said, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. And let me add to that. You might fool yourself, but you can never fool God. You're making a fool of yourself. The Bible tells us this is historic, and I find this so relieving. Adam and Eve attempted to hide their sin from God. Genesis chapter 3. And and when God arrived, he's calling out to them, Adam, Adam. And we know in today's language, Adam and Eve were ghosting God. (laughs) I guess if it's possible. Some of you oldies are saying, what what do you mean by ghosting? It means not replying. (laughs) We're ghosting God. Cain sought to hide his murder of his brother Abel from God by passing on responsibility of his brother. Am I my brother's keeper? You find that Genesis chapter 4. Next chapter, Jonah tried to hide from his calling by heading on a boat the opposite direction from where he was supposed to go. Let me say this. Jonah was cruising for a bruising. You're welcome. Saul tried to hide his disobedience from God by lying about it. You'll find this in 1 Samuel 15. And then offering to sacrifice to God that which belonged to God and should have been destroyed in the first place. You ever find yourself doing that? <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing the right thing. You should have done all along. And feeling, you're thinking you're doing a good deed for everyone. No, you should have done that in the first place. 
David tried to hide his adultery from God through deception and then later on through murder. You'll find this in 2 Samuel 12. But 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, God looks at the heart. It was a, it was a word for David back in the time. And David is completely oblivious to this. He said to Samuel, when Samuel is trying to find which is supposed to be the son of Jesse, who will be the next king of Israel? He's ready to anoint the, the oldest brother who's tall. He's good looking. In fact, all the, all the kids, all the brothers must have been hunks. He went to the first one. Is this the one, God? And God says, no, that's not the one. Oh, okay, all right, must be the next one. No, that's not the one. All the way down the line. And then God said to Samuel to correct Samuel's heart. Because the first king, King Saul, was a head taller than any other man. Good looking. He anointed him as king. So I guess Samuel thought, God must like good looking people. Can I just say this hope for all of us out there? If you're good looking, don't listen to this. But for everyone else out there, the real people, can I just say, God loves you just the way you are. And he can use you for great things in the name of Jesus. But God spoke to Samuel and corrected the air of his heart. He says, God does not look at the heart. Sorry, God does not look at outward appearances God looks at the heart. Psalm 44 verse 21, it says this, Would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins is in the light of your presence. And yet we think we can hide things from God. So right at the beginning of time, the pattern was set. Adam and Eve, the moment they sinned, they tried to hide. And we've been hiding ever since. Here's the second key thing that I want you to grab from this message today. The hidden things are meant to be exposed. Someone needs to write that one down on the collar of the person next to them. Husbands, write it on your wife's dress. Wives, write it on your husband's face. The hidden things are meant to be exposed. He says this, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Nothing. It will all be seen or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be proclaimed from the roofs. The danger in our story that, we, that just happened, which was hidden, was revealed in one spectacularly devastating result. Everyone saw it. Everyone in the entire world knows the mistakes that were made. According to the Associated Press on the 4th of August, videos showed what appeared to be a fire erupting nearby just before the explosion. And local TV stations reported that a fireworks warehouse was involved. And the fire appeared to spread to a nearby building and triggering the more massive explosion. Here's what I want to say. The, the, the bomb that exploded had nothing to do with anyone setting fire to the actual bomb. But it was a mistake that took place nearby. 
that caused a chain reaction that resulted in an explosion that cost many people their lives and many people their livelihoods, and the numbers are still adding up. Let me ask you a question. What will trigger the explosion in your life? Some of you hiding and you're thinking no one knows and no one cares. But can I say this to you right now? Man of God, woman of God, whether you're young or old, that hidden sin God knows about and it's going to cost you. And won't just cost you. Let me tell you, it's going to cost other people. There's going to be ramifications to the sin that is hidden in your life. The neglect of a handful of people cost the lives of many others. In the New York Times on August the 5th, the customs officials who had had, uh, taken hold of this particular boat, they proposed a number of solutions, including donating the ammonium nitrate to the Lebanese army or selling it to a privately owned Lebanese explosives company. And each time they refused to do this, the legal authorities refused to do that. And it cost them a stupid decision. So the authorities, the legal authorities that have been neglecting all these things are trying to pin it down and put it on a scapegoat. 16 people who are working at the docks. They're trying to blame them. But all the people know, no, no, it's not them. It's the authorities. You knew about this for over six years and you did nothing about it. There were options and you didn't take it. Can I challenge you with this thought? There are options in your life where you can deal with that sin but you've got to take them while you have the opportunity before it explodes. Here's the exciting thing that I want you to lay hold of today. This is why the title is called, of this message is called, Reclaim the Closet. Because when the Bible mentions the closet, a lot of things happen in the closet. The closet wasn't meant to be a place to hide skeletons. The Bible tells us the closet is meant to be a prayer closet. The closet sets the stage for the followers of Jesus to be revealed to the world. The the people of God, the ones that do incredible things for the king, were not discovered overnight, but they were in their prayer closets. They were in those private places dealing with the sin in their life and crucifying it to the cross saying, God, forgive me. God, remove this sin from my life. I can't take it. I don't want to hold on to it anymore. These wicked thoughts that I have, God, remove it. That unforgiveness that I have towards that person that hurt me, I just want to hate them, but I can't because I know it destroys me. And worse yet, I know that it hurts your heart heart when I hold on to this this unforgiveness, when I can't let it go. And your word tells me if I can't let it go, you won't let go of my sin. So God, I can't afford it. I want to crucify it today, right now. The closet is a place where integrity is found, where honesty is revealed, and it becomes the very place of prayer where sin becomes a weapon against a very enemy that wants to take you down. If you agree with that, say amen right now in that chat. We call it the prayer closet. It is the stage for greatness, not greatness in the eyes of men. I want to tell you it's greatness in the eyes of God. There's no greater stage than the one true God seeing you in the very dark places, the inner places where you hide. We call that the closet. And the same principle, I want you to understand this. 
The principle of what is hidden in the dark will be revealed in the daylight. The same principle that says what is whispered in the inner rooms and the quiet places will be shouted from the rooftops. It's saying this. It is an amplifier. The hidden closet is an amplifier. And you can redeem it for goodness or it could could destroy you. But if you understand the power of the hidden closet and what God can do to amplify the things that are happening in your life. Those crazy, wonderful decisions where you say, God, I want to be a righteous man. God, I'm so unclean. Will you deal with the sin in my life? I want to be righteous, but I know I'm a sinner. What is prayed in the dark will be aired into the light. When you declare, God, forgive me for my unclean thoughts. I want to love my wife. It's going to be seen and people wonder, wow, you have an amazing marriage. When you're there and you're confessing your sins before God, Father, forgive me. I haven't been a good father. Lord, forgive me the sins of my life. Your kids are going to notice that. People are going to notice that because it has ramifications outside of the prayer closet. Can I encourage you? It's time to reclaim the prayer closet in your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 says this, But when you pray, not if, when, it should be all the time, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Oh, come on. Give a shout out to the Lord. That is so amazing. For those of you that are dealing with the hard things, the hard and the deep, dark issues of your life, can I tell you there's a reward on the other side. There's a reward on the other side of prayer. There's a reward on the other side of honesty. What you deal with in that closet, God is going to bring out into the stage of life. Will you reclaim that sacred place in your life? Will you reclaim your closet? Proverbs 28 verse 13 says this. If you hide your sins, you will not succeed. If you confess and reject them, you will receive mercy. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us, I listed a bunch of characters who had such incredible sins in their life. But I love the story of David. The Bible says that even though he was caught out for adultery, he was caught out for deception, trying to get the husband to sleep with the wife, to uncover the, to disguise the fact that he had made her pregnant. And on top of that, he ends up putting this husband in the front lines of battle. And here's the thing that blows my mind. This guy was one of David's mighty men. He was a warrior hero, one of David's closest guys. And he completely breaks the trust of this guy by taking his wife and then just throws him under the bus. And yet, it, had, it wasn't to do with the sin. I want to tell you right now, if you're feeling, I, my sin, Pastor, is just so dark. If, if, if I revealed it, you would never speak to me again. God would never speak to me. This church would never have me in church. Can I tell you? That there is no sin so great that grace cannot cover. There is no sin so big that is bigger than who God is. I want to tell you, I don't understand it. I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot understand that kind of grace because we struggle to forgive, but He doesn't. The description of God says that says this, that He is slow to anger, abounding in love, a merciful God. 
And I want to be in right relationship with him. I don't want to miss out on the destiny that he has for me. I want God to just fill me so completely. I want to be in this right relationship with him. But one thing that I want, I want to be right with God. The Bible tells us that the thing that earmarked David is different from the others is that he dealt with his sin. And he, and he, and he writes in the Psalms and he says, uh, you know, God, forgive me my sins. Wash it away from me. I want it to be so far, as far as the east is from the west. Remove it from me. Forgive me my transgressions. Forgive me my sin. I know someone out there needs to be praying this prayer with me right now. And the Bible says, because of David's willing heart to ask for forgiveness, to truly, genuinely repent. Repentance means not feeling sorry for yourself. Repentance means feeling so ugly that that sin, I don't want to do it again. I'm ashamed of my sin and giving it back to God. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to forgive your sin. How great is that? That if you confess and reject your sins, you will receive mercy. Today, I want to pray for you. Perhaps this is the first time that you have understood the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never understood what a sin is, but the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you right now. It's when you do the things that God asks you not to do. And it's when you don't do things that he did ask you to do. They're all sins, and we, we, we all do it. We're people full of sin. We're born in iniquity. So we get you. We Christians, we ain't perfect. Let me tell you right now. We ain't perfect. Just turn to the person next to you. Let me tell you, some of you don't want to go to church because you think that only perfect people go to church. But let me tell you, the moment I walked in, the moment they walked in, it was an imperfect place because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But I want to lead you in a prayer today that's going to change everything. And perhaps today you have said a prayer, and you meant it with all your heart to follow Jesus, but you haven't been following, following him like you should. This message was for you today, that if you'll just come back to the Lord today. And so if that's you, this is your first time, this might be a 50th time, it doesn't matter. But the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died, that he was risen on the third day, he can take away your sins, that you are saved. Will you say this prayer with me right where you're at? Some of you need to stand. Some of you need to just raise your hand and put it forward right now. Receive this right now and pray with me and repeat it after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I don't understand why. But you came and died for me because of all my sins, the horrible things I've done in the past, and all the horrible things I'm still yet to do. You died for all my sins. And so I'm asking you now, Jesus Please forgive me. Wash away my sins. And give me a new heart. I ask right now that you would fill me with your spirit so that I could live for you. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time or the 50th time, it doesn't matter. 
can you let me know? It's just between you, me, and Jesus, but it will hold you accountable. And also, I want to be able to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And I also want to help you take the next steps to grow in God and for God to restore you to the destiny that he always has designed for you. So will you write me? Yes, at livecitychurch.com. Thanks again for tuning in today. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.